So this week, we're going to look at character or virtue, what it means to be the virtuous disciple. Now, I struggle with this one because as I look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I, I, I struggled with, there's a lot of, but I want to ask you this question, is that when we think about becoming different people, when we think about becoming more like Christ, being more loving, being more uh, self-controlled, uh, being more compassionate, right? All these kind of virtues and these fruit of the Spirit, if you want to use that language in the Scriptures. One thing I find lacking in our society is that there's usually only two ways of going about that. And some have even grown up in church traditions where that, this is the only two options, how I can become a different person, how I can be more conformed in the image of Christ. And one is just rule keeping, right? I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? You know, if, if we just agree on some rules, then we can become the people that God would want us to be. We see that in society all the time. When things are breaking down, what do we mean? We need more rules, right? We need more legislation, right? When, when people are shooting each other up, we need more laws, um, you know, we saw in the economic crisis, right? We need more regulations because if we lead people to their own devices, they're going to go crazy. So we need laws in place, right? Now, hear me out. Nothing wrong with rules. We're not going after anarchy. But you know deep in your bones that rules are not enough. They don't get to the heart of the matter, do they? That there's a reason why people go crazy with their finances. There's a reason why people shoot each other up. There's a, there's a reason why your kids don't listen to a word that you have to say. It has nothing to do with the rules. They know the rules, don't they? Right? Unless you're not a good parent and they, you don't make that very clear. It's like, no, you cannot punch your brother in the nose. You know the rules. But there's something different. There's something deeper going underneath it. So rules don't work. That doesn't change our character just by having the right rules. Now, we'll talk about that, how God's commands work in that, and, and et cetera. And there's, there is a place for that, obviously. Now, there's another extreme, which is just be yourself, right? Find your true self. Find your, your inner self. So if we could kind of unpack all the layers of your soul and your life, you know, just find the true you. And when you find the true you, Oprah, you'll find who you really are. And that's the person that you need to be. That's where you need to live from. Now, we know if you've tried that or the, the air that we co- constantly breathe, that, that it doesn't make you into any more loving and compassionate. It actually makes you self-absorbed and really obnoxious to be around. Because there's a lot of flawed thinking and just be yourself. Well, how do you know that's the true self? How do you know you're not broken on the inside? How do you know you're not going down a path that's going to absolutely destroy you and everyone around you? That feelings and, and, and subjective feelings aren't going to get us to where we want to be. It can lead to despair and destruction. But I think Jesus offers us a third way. It's not rule-based morality, and it's not just follow your own heart. I think there's a third way that Jesus offers us. So go to Mark 10. Go to Mark 10. And you're going to kind of go, oh, that's an interesting text to talk about this, but just hang with me. It's going to get real fun. Mark chapter 10, famous story. Maybe if you've been around the scriptures, maybe you're not. The rich young ruler, the rich young man, depends which Bible you have, a little heading there. It's an astounding text if we really sit with it and see the way Jesus talks about how we are to change and become the people that God would want us to be. So, and as uh, verse 17, sorry, I didn't even give you the verse. 10, 17, Mark 10, 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in your chair. It's 846. Here's what God's word said. And as, we, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, I love this, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man is impossible, not with God, for all things are possible with God. 
Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus said. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of God for us this morning. So an interesting text, maybe a familiar text. So, and I know we all get, we all get anxious, especially if you live in the West, because by definition you are wealthy. If we look at our wealth versus the, the world's wealth, most people live on a dollar or two dollars a day. So we are all wealthy. Let's just acknowledge that compared to others. Now, maybe not living in America. Maybe we struggle and, and get by and we won't go into that. But we have means, right? We, we, we are people that have to think about these things. But, but the, the reality is when we look at this text, it's not really necessarily about his wealth. And we'll get to that in just a moment. It's not about who gets in and who gets out. If, you're, if you have money, uh, you're in or you're not in. It, well, it's going to be really difficult if you don't. You know, God kind of sides with the poor, so you better get rid of all your money. We'll get into that in just a moment. But here's this young man, a, a Jewish man, which we, we gather because he knows the Ten Commandments very well. Quotes them, says, hey, I've kept him my whole youth. So there's a, a Jewish man. He knows the scriptures inside now, Old Testament. He comes to Jesus. Now, now notice in Jesus' day, a man who's running to this rabbi or to this teacher is it's kind of an, in, in, you know, not very, um, what would be the word, dis- distinguished way of dealing with Jesus. But he's obviously excited because he knows Jesus has some answers for him of the questions that he has. So he runs up, he kneels, he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really good question. You know, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. He's kind of doing a little subversive thing. He says, I'm him, I'm good. No one's good except one, and that's me, God. But, but he wants to know, what, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I, you know, if you want to use this, the word get saved, how, what does that look like? Now, let's just pause for a minute because I know when you hear, how do I inherit eternal life, it's believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die. That's not how he would have thought about eternal life. An Old Testament, or excuse me, a Jewish man with the Old Testament scriptures in his head and his heart would understand eternal life to be the time when God reign, rules and reigns on, heaven, in, on earth as heaven and earth come together, as this king comes to rule and reign his people, and his people are there. He's looking to the future age when all that comes, when this Messiah comes to rule and reign his people. We worship him and we rule with him together at one time. It's not about just saying a prayer and going up to heaven. He would have had none of that in his mind. That would make, that'd be foolishness to him. But he would say, well, what, what is the kind of person that can, can rule and reign and be with God and be in his presence? And when that coming age, that future age comes, what kind of person will be there? What, what, is that? what do I have to do to be that kind of person? To have that kind of eternal life. Because eternal life is also a quality of life. It's a way of being. That's the way John talks about in his gospel. It's not just about, you know, saying our, our prayer, you know, saying this prayer, trusting in Jesus and going to heaven, but it's a quality of life. It's a, it's a, it's a way of life as well. So, so he wouldn't have this idea of just like, hey, how do I get zapped up into heaven? But how do I live my life now? How do I become that kind of person? Because I, he's looking to the future, but he's also saying, well, how does that happen now? Because he's, he's very excited, isn't he? Like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm here, Jesus. I want to know, how do I get this? What, what's going on? I've heard your teachings. But notice how Jesus responds. It's, it's very interesting here. He says in verse 20 and, um, or excuse me, in verse 19, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Okay. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Again, I think he's kind of like, oh, sweet boy. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's a very interesting question. How do I get eternal life? How do I get an opportunity to be in your presence in the future when you make all things new, when this king comes to restore all things? How do I get in on on that? Now, he's Jewish, so Jesus says, you know, you know the commandments, right? But isn't it interesting that he, he mentions all the, what I call the horizontal commandments, the ones that have to do with us in our relationship about loving our neighbors. There's a bunch missing that are kind of important, and I don't think it's because Jesus doesn't know what they are. 
you know, love God, don't take God's name in vain, have no images before me, right? Even keep the Sabbath not in there. So, so what, what, what is actually, what, what's going on here? There's something missing here. And because the man says, yeah, I've done all that from my youth. I'm a good Jew. I, I know I'm supposed to not murder and steal and, and do all that. Like, I've done all that. Like, there's something in him that goes, there's got to be more, Jesus. Because I've done all those things. And I feel like there's something more to this thing than, than just being a good person, just following the command. Is there more to what you're saying here? And this is where Jesus drops the bomb on him. And this is his way of saying you need to first and foremost follow the first commands, which is love God. Don't treat his name. Don't say his name in vain. Don't put his name in vain. Don't, don't diminish him. Don't make idols. Don't make, make things. How does he say it? He says it in a very different way. He says you lack one thing. If you want to be complete, you want to be whole, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In other versions of the story, it's, you want to be complete? Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. Now, I know this is where we get nervous, because this is where we say, oh, great, Jesus, this is why I don't go to church. I have to sell all my stuff and follow Jesus. Now, let me say this. How many times, how many times has Jesus interacted with other people that are going, how do I, how do I get eternal life? How do I, how do I get in on this? What is, what is this all, all about? He doesn't say this every time. This is to a specific person, a rich young ruler who has lots of things and lots of possessions and lots of wealth. What is he saying to him? He loved him and he said, son, this is about priority. This isn't about your wealth. It has nothing to do with your wealth. But the fact that your wealth and your possessions are more important than me and my kingdom. Your wealth is crowding out you becoming the kind of person that would actually even give to the poor and seek my kingdom and follow me. It's a question of priority. Jesus is doing this all the time in the scriptures, isn't he? He's saying, you know, all these harsh things about, you know, you got to love me more than my brother and your sister and your mom and your dad. And you're just like, Jesus, that's really difficult. Like, I, I, I like my dad. And my, like, I, I love them. I love my siblings. You know, like, you, you really want me to hate them? It's not about hating them, it's about priority. Because if you love them more than you love me, guess what? I'm going to get squashed out and the kingdom's going to get squashed out and you're not going to be, become the kind of person that is going to live and enjoy the kingdom in which I am building, I am making. It's priority. It's not about your wealth and your possessions. You know, the Bible doesn't even say that wealth and possessions are evil. It says that money is the root of all evil. Why? Because if we obsess over it and we want more of it and it's our whole life and God has no place in our lives and, and Jesus says we can't serve two masters, guess who gets crowded out? God. God gets crowded out. So what Jesus is saying is put my kingdom first, put me first, and then you'll become the kind of person that is worthy to live in my kingdom and where do I get all of that? There's just this little tiny, and this little verse just changed and wrecked me. I've read this story a million times. And maybe you have too. Did you catch it? Just one simple phrase. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Why is that significant? Remember Jesus when he calls his disciples, come follow me, right? I'll make you fishers of men. So in first century culture, if you're a, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, following a teacher or following a rabbi or following this Messiah wasn't just about going to heaven when you die. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with becoming like your teacher or your rabbi. Right? So, so when he says, come follow me, he says, I got this mission for you and I want you to know what it's like to live in my kingdom, what it's like to be those kinds of people that live in my kingdom. I want you to become more like your master, more like your Lord. I want you to emulate me and become like me. So when Jesus says, come follow me, he's getting after our hearts and our character. He's the character of all characters. Because if we are being redeemed and we are being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ, when Jesus says, come follow me, he says, if you want a new character, you want new virtue, you want to become a different person, it's not following rules and it's not following your heart. It's following 
Jesus. It's following God, becoming more like him. You become what you worship. So this story is not about wealth necessarily. The story is about priorities and saying, if you want to be the kind of person that's going to be comfortable in God's kingdom, come follow me and become like me. Which, when we think about the options that we have of becoming different kinds of people, rules and feelings aren't going to cut it. We need something bigger. We need something more massive. And then what happens? In 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He made the decision. I'm not going to become the kind of person that helps the poor. I'm not going to be kind of the person that's, that's fit for the kingdom. I'm going to be the kind of the person that rather loves their wealth and loves their possessions more than they love Jesus and more than they love the kingdom. He made his decisions, right? It was, they had too much of a stranglehold on him. So he goes away. It's a, kind of a sad story, isn't it? Like he hears all this teaching and, and he, he knows there's something wrong. He's like, I know the commands aren't doing it. I know there's got to be something more. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you priority. I'm showing you where life is. And it's in me. Come follow me. He says, nope, I'm out. Now, what's fascinating is we keep reading, just, just to summarize the, the last little section there in Mark 10. He says, how difficult will be those for who have wealth to enter the kingdom? Yeah. Because you, you have to choose. Am I going to love my wealth or am I going to love Jesus? Can't serve two masters. And the disciples were amazed at this words that Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I, I love that text because people do all kinds of funny things with it. Where there's this like, door in Jerusalem and there's like an eye of a needle. And yeah, okay, maybe. But that's not what that's about. He's, he's just, again, saying it's just about priority. It's difficult. It's difficult to love God with all your heart and to love everything else at the same time. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I don't want you to hear law this morning. I don't want you to hear, well, it sounds like there's not a lot of grace here. Like no one can get in. I have to become a kind of person. No, he says right here. God's still the one who does the saving. God's still the one who, who gives us the grace and gives us the, the strength to, to become those kinds of people. He gives us his spirit, right? This isn't about just us, just willpower and trying. No. God can make you that kind of person. Like, that's, that's a miracle. Do you realize how much of a miracle that is? That God could change a person in such a way that they say, wealth, don't care anymore. Prestige, don't care anymore. Having power, don't care anymore. Being popular, don't care anymore. Being the cool kid, don't care anymore. That's an absolute miracle, isn't it? In the culture we live in, don't have to be someone, don't have to be known, don't have to be awesome, don't have to be, right? And and, and yet God does that all the time. With, With God, nothing is impossible. I can give you a new heart. I can give you a new character. I can give you longings that you didn't even know existed. And that's what he does in salvation, right? So, so the, the, the disciples are you know, kind of confused. And, and, and then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Kind of like, hey, we've done a good thing, right? <laughs> I love Peter. Gosh, I'm so glad he gets transformed more as the scriptures go on. See, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. It's not a prosperity text. What he's saying is, come follow me and you're going to have your mind blown. No one has ever regretted it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you're going to have more abundance and more life than you can ever imagine. Think about the young, rich ruler. He's not free. He's shackled. He has no life. He's enslaved. Enslaved to what? His money. His possessions. So, so Jesus, in a kind of subversive way, is just saying, hey, don't think you giving up a little bit of your cash and following me and making me a priority and my kingdom a priority as if that's like losing your life, right? It's not. 
It's actually where life is found. Come and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's where you find life. It's where you lose your life. You actually find life because life is found in me. It's that backwards kingdom thing, right? Like we all thought, like when I became a Christian, I thought I was losing my life and losing my mind. Anybody been there? Like, I'm going to take up my cross and follow this Jesus. I'm going to be the biggest nerd in high school. And I'm going to lose everything, and this is going to be the lamest thing of my life. I mean, those are my teenage thoughts, and right? They've hopefully matured a little bit. No regrets. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean people haven't abandoned me. Doesn't mean I don't struggle. Doesn't, none of that. That's all there. But, but when I read texts like this, I go, I get it now, Jesus. This is what you're doing. You're trying to create a new Ryan, a new creation that has different longings and different desires, right? Where life's found. Because I know how it is. When I pursue wealth and possessions and power and, and name and all these kinds of things, my life's not any better. It's worse. When I make my whole life about the American dream, when I make my whole life about everything but you and your kingdom, it seems like there's li- l- less joy than more. I, I get it now. I get it. Come follow me. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. But Jesus says, it's not rules, it's not feelings, it's come follow a person and then I'll give you the character, the virtue. I'm remaking you into my image to want different things, to live differently, to see that life is not just about wealth and possessions and stuff. But it's about life with me and life in a new kingdom and a new world that I've inaugurated through my death and my resurrection. Now, what's very interesting about Mark 10, here's a little Bible study help, um, is when you're reading the Bible, read around it. So if you're reading some verses, read above it, below it, around it. Because every author is not just laying out random things in the scriptures and just like, oh, let's put a story here, story here, story there. Right? They have an agenda. And they're trying to make a theological point or a biblical point. And that's why it's good to read the context around where certain teachings come, even in the Gospels. Like, why is this teaching here? Why is that here? What is Jesus trying to say? What's Mark trying to say through uh, chapter 10? Now, if you notice in, in chapter 10, there's some interesting things around this teaching, which helps us understand kind of what I've been trying to say this morning about God creating character and virtue in us. He talks about divorce first, so relationships. He goes right back to creation in the beginning of chapter 10. Verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, why did Moses command them? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send him away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so he's just going to, he's using an, an illustration of a relationship. He's saying, well, this is how, the, this is God's good design. It's supposed to function this way. And we know it happens. We know divorce happens. There's grace there, of course. But, but he's saying it's good that man and woman be together. This is a healthy relationship. It's how I designed the universe to work. But then go to below the young rich ruler story. The famous James and John interaction in verse 35. James and John, the son of Zebedee, they came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus asked them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to him, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has been prepared. And then verse 42, And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came to be served, but to, but to serve and, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In my kingdom, it's about service. It's about 
laying our lives down for the benefit of others. James and John don't, don't understand this yet. We want to sit next to you, God. We want to have, when you come and you rule and reign in this new heavens and new earth, we want to have all the power, right? We want to be at your right hand. We want to tell people what to do. He says, that's not how my kingdom works. I'm going to give you a new character where that's not how you live your life. You don't lord over people. You don't control people. You don't have to be number one all the time. You don't have to have all this power all the time. It's actually better to submit yourself to other people and humbly lead other people, whatever God has called you to do, to not be one hungry for power. Okay, Jesus, then how do we get in? What does this look like? Right before the rich young man, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him and they might touch him and the disciples rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child, like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So how do we get in? Like children. What is a child? What's their posture? Their total trust. Isn't it? It's amazing if you watch children. Like it's, it's kind of terrifying if you're a father or mother that they would trust me to, for anything. But it's just they don't have any categories, right? It's just awe. It's wonder. It's trust. It's just like, yeah, I know dad's not going to drink when I throw him up in the air. Like he's going to catch me, right? They're not, they don't have this like fear thing that we do. Just like, oh, I don't know. It's total trust, total awe. It's, it's, I don't have even the categories. I don't even have the language. I, I don't even know, but we have this relationship and it's a loving relationship and I, I trust you to give me what I need. He says, that's what the kingdom is life. It's put away your agenda, put away all the things that you think how this thing works and trust me, come follow me. Now, it's not going to make sense all the time. It's going to be confusing. There's going to be some new language that you have to, to, to understand. But you don't come with all your agendas. You don't come saying, I know how this works and I know how it's going to go and I know what I need. You say, no, you come like a child with total abandonment and trust and awe and wonder. That's what my kingdom's about. It's not a bunch of people that go, I got it. I'm smarter than you, God. I know how life works. I know how to live. I know how to do this. He says, just come. It starts there. Come like a, like a child. Now, the reason I, I go to those different text is because Jesus, what he's painting in this picture in, in chapter 10, and we go other places, but he's identifying all the things that destroy our lives, isn't he? Relationships. We try to do relationships outside of the way God would want them to be. They, they, they go bad, right? And that's not just marriage either. That's just relationships in general. Sex, power, money, Jesus addresses all those things right here. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, come follow me so that I can make you the kind of person that sees sex, money, and power in a total different way and and live in a total different way than what the culture typically tells you. And it's not going to happen by simply giving you rules or saying, follow your heart. Because that doesn't work. He's not laying out rules here. He's saying, hey, don't you know, stay divorced. He's saying, no, this is what it looks like when you're part of my kingdom. This is what it looks like when you come and follow me, that, those, the, that attraction to power, that attraction to unhealthy relationship, that attraction to stuff, all those things are going to wither away over a lifetime. They're going to die away so that you'll be fit for me and my kingdom and how that's lived out. Now, the problem is that we have as you know, and you've heard me say many times, is that we have bad hearts. <laughs> that's, easy, that's actually how Jesus talks about it. That our, our problems is, is that we do love money more than God, and we love stuff more than God, and we have problems with power and sex and, and relationships. But it's because of what's going on inside of us. It's not external. It's not, you know, if I just had better classes or if I just grew up differently. It's, it all starts, Jesus always identifies the problem in our souls, or the problem in our lives and our souls begins from inside, not outside. Just go back a couple of chapters. Mark chapter 7. And this is going to have a bigger point than just we have bad hearts, but just hang with me for a second. 
So the Pharisees have a problem with the disciples. They're, washing their, they're not washing their hands. It's a purity law and Jewish custom, and they have a hard time with that, <laughs> as a lot of Pharisees do. And he says, well, uh, in verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? But jump over to verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to him, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going to him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left that, the people, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to him, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile them? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. I don't need to describe what that means. You should know that. You're smart people. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, why is that significant for Jesus? Now, you've heard me say many times, it's, it's, obvious, it's obvious, right? Like, our sin is from the inside out. It's, it's why we hurt each other. It's why we say harsh things. It's whatever's in the heart is going to come out eventually in our actions and our words. That, that's obvious here. But think of the context, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were all about external rule-keeping, rule purity laws. Hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Jesus says, it's never been about washing hands and rules and regulations. It's been about the heart. You see what he's saying here? It starts within. If you want the kind of character, you want the the kingdom virtues, if you will, if you want uh, to be the kind of person that is fit for the kingdom and fit for Jesus, it doesn't start from externals. We'll go to church, right? Be nice. You know, what rules do we need to kind of keep things intact? He says, no, no, it, it starts from inside out. Now, why is that significant? Because that's been God's mission for all of eternity. It goes back all the way to the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31. When God says, he gives this prophecy in in Jeremiah 31. You probably heard this if you've been around the church at all, the scriptures. Remember Jeremiah 31? Yes, pastor, I read it this morning. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God's mission has been to give us a new heart. To redeem us so that we'd have a new heart that even the commands, it's not a bunch of rules, it's it's already written on our hearts that we would actually want to love God and actually want to love our neighbor. That God's going to do that work from the inside out. Always been God's plan. He knows we have bad hearts. Jeremiah 17, right? The heart is deceitful. It's sick. Who can understand it? Any amens? Good Lord. Who can understand it? Ezekiel uh, 11. I know you read that one this morning. Ezekiel 11, 19. Same idea. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. New heart. He's going to take out this heart of stone that doesn't want anything to do with God, his kingdom. A heart that says, no, I love my possessions and my wealth more than I love you and your kingdom. I'm going to give you a new heart that says, no, I love you. I will take up my cross and follow you wherever you lead me. I don't want to let anything get in the way of full allegiance and full worship and full life with you and your kingdom. I don't want anything to get in the way of that. That's been God's plan all along. And and so the the Christian message is not, hey, do these rules and, and follow your heart because here's the problem with our hearts. They're wicked. That's bad advice. They're sick. So we need God to do some work on the hearts to want different things and to live different ways. In the Hebrew, in the, in the Hebrew mindset, the heart was the, the place of emotion, yes, 
but it's also the place of thinking, of will. It's the center of who we are, so it, it leads us where we want to go and need to go. It's from the inside that we, we do life, right? Like, we know that. I mean, you've heard me talk about this probably ad nauseum. But that's also exactly why John, in John chapter 3, same language, same ideas. Remember Nick at night? Nicodemus comes, middle of the night. Anybody remember Nick at night? Are you guys too young? Too cool? Okay. John 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're one is born of water and the Spirit, sounds very much like Ezekiel, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows, or you could say spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So as with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. Ezekiel coming to life, Jeremiah coming to life. If you want a new character, now here's what's so interesting. Don't just read this as, I'm born again, going to heaven. Doesn't matter if I'm a whatever. Doesn't matter if I I have no self-control. Doesn't matter if I have no grace. Doesn't matter if I don't forgive anybody. That doesn't matter. I'm born again. We just need to get everyone, souls in heaven. I know they don't all have that accent, but but that's just not, that's not the message. Because what is John saying here? He's saying you can't see the kingdom and you can't enter in. What does that mean? Jesus is going to make you a certain kinds of person by his redemption, by you being born again, that you'll be fit in the kingdom. He's going to give you kingdom virtues and kingdom values in your heart, in your life, so that you would even enjoy the kingdom and how it is and what Jesus is about and what his people are about, his church are uh, about. Because he goes back to creation language. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound. The spirit blows where it wishes you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do you remember in creation, the Holy Spirit and chaos? And what does God do? The spirit comes and brings form, right? John's drawing on that. Why? Like, why does he use that language? I mean, he's a, he's a Jewish man. He knows the scriptures inside and out, and here's why. He actually, in the resurrection, and we won't talk about it for a while yet, but there's this cool thing that happens at the resurrection where Jesus sees the, or they, they see the gardener, right? Like, what is that all about? He's talking about new creation. A new world has broke in. When he talks about being born again by the Spirit, the same Spirit that was at creation, the same Spirit that took all the chaos and brought order, right? He's saying, this is who you're going to be. Why does Paul say you are a new creation? What is he talking about? This is why I've been ranting and raving this whole sermon, and this sermon could be like four hours long. I'm not going to make it four hours, I promise. Your character is not just so you can get along and manage your sin for a lifetime. That's not why God is transforming you and making you new. He's getting you fit to live now in his kingdom and to rule and reign with him for all of eternity. You hear me? It's not just so that I don't make a mess of all my relationships. It's that and so much more. That's why he's using this language. He said, I, I created this good world and I made people in my image and the, 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 the sin came and disobedience came and it got fractured and I had a plan of redemption, but I've always been in the business of giving people new hearts and re-imaging them back into the person of Christ. Why? So that they could point others to the kingdom of God and point others to the reality of, of who I am, to be salt light in our world and also to prepare them for an eternity of worshiping me and also reigning with me forever. But I got to work on your character. Isn't it weird why in Revelation, why does it always talk about, you know, certain people that aren't going to be allowed in in Revelation? You know, idolaters and liars and why? Because those God redeems, he's giving them a new character and making them fit for that world. Why would you even want to be in that world? So it matters how we live now. It matters that we develop a kingdom virtue and kingdom character. 
It's not just a tack on. Well, we're going to heaven. That'd be nice if I was a little bit nicer. So let me, let me just close just the last three minutes here. How do we do that? Like, is there any way, like, is it possible? Or is it just grace, spirit, you know, hoping, maybe? There's a couple spots that I think are really important. Go with me real quick to Ephesians 4. I could go to Colossians 3. Um, Andy, I know, has preached on that. I'm going to save that because we're going to go to Colossians in a few weeks, a few months from now. Ephesians 4. Notice how Paul talks about how, does this, how do we get this new character, this new thing. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Interesting. He connects the heart to how they think and how that they've gone astray. Anyway, I don't have time. But they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Okay? So he says, there's an alienation from God. Paul talks about in Romans 12, a renewal of the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. So there's a way of thinking in the world. There's a way of living life in the world. So we can live one way or we can live the other. He connects these behaviors to their alienation from God. 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which he belongs, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Very similar to Romans 12. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So, so here, here's the thing. You're, you don't stumble into having a new character and, and living in new ways. You don't stumble into it. You have to work at it. There's no problem here with, yeah, we're grace people. We don't work at anything. Yes, you do. Unless you want to ignore half of the New Testament. The assumption is, yes, grace is there. The God is not. He's given us his spirit. He's given us grace. But he says here, these are commands. He says, put off the old self. You have this old way of thinking. This old way of doing life. He says daily you need to put on a new self. The new self that's made in the image of Christ. That you've been raised with Christ. That you've been seated at the right hand of God. That you've had your sins forgiven because of the the death and the resurrection of Christ. So every single day in my heart and in my life, that old man, oh man, oh man. He is at war within me. Amen? wanting me to think, no, this is, just go with your feelings, go with your gut, Ryan. Don't doubt it. Right? To, to love my wife or not love my wife in a certain way or my kids or my church or, or whoever. So there's this old man that's, that's rising up every single day and he says, you have to fight against that and put on the new and be renewed in your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So why I'm hitting this so hard is because it's another way of saying you have to think through your life before God. Like, it's hard work. Like, you have a brain and you have a heart that's been redeemed. But you have to constantly think through where are the ways in which the old man is winning. Because so many, just, just let me just say this. So many of us think that we don't have to work at this. Like, it's just going to happen somehow. Well, I read my Bible. Okay, that's great. You should. But the character is putting on and putting off and putting to death. That's what Colossians 3 says. Go read Colossians 3 this afternoon. Put to death. Put on. It's this idea of putting on clothes. Every day we have to say, why? Because we're made for God. We're made for His kingdom. That that we are His and we belong to Him. And there's a kingdom coming where I want to be fit for that kingdom. And again, this isn't law. Who's getting in? If I don't work at this, somehow God's going to leave me. No, but He's saying this is what it means so that as we live our lives, people will get a little taste, a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like through His people and through His church. Kingdom people are people who forgive and show grace and show love. People who give generously, sacrificially, right? People who love their enemies and pray for their their enemies. 
So there's an effort that has to happen here. Putting on and putting off. Now I know that that seems kind of like, is that, is there like, I know a lot of that comes through prayer. I know a lot of that comes through, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Bible reading, Bible meditation. Because a lot of times we have to be reminded of who we are in Christ, right? The Satan loves to steal our identity. Tell us we're just losers and screw-ups. Say, no, that's not who I am. I'm a new creation. That's not who I am. So, so when you see your attitude and you see your character go wonky, you go, no, that's my old self. God, help me put on the new self, the new creation, the one that loves and the one that forgives. That's the old man. I hate the old man. The old man's a basement guy. He hangs out in the basement. Right? Kind of musty. Comes up once in a while. But he wreaks havoc, right? But we have the Spirit of God. We have the grace of God. We have redemption in Christ. Like This isn't about earning your salvation. It's not about losing your salvation. But this is part of how we are to live as kingdom people, as virtuous people, as God's people. Let me close with this and we'll get to the Lord's Supper. Revelation 22. This is why I'm trying to paint not very clearly. I know I'm trying. I know this is a lot of big stuff for some of us. But I'm trying to paint a picture that your character and your virtue is not just a tack on to your life to kind of get through life. But it has eternal ramifications because you're made for God's kingdom. And the reason I say that is from texts like Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Here it is, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. So one of our eternal vocations is being a worshiping people. We talk about that, being worshipers in all of life, not just Sunday morning, and that's part of how we become kingdom people as we worship together corporately. We worship as living sacrifices, Romans 12, throughout the week, that we give everything that we are to God and we lay that down on the altar every day and say, God, I am yours, my heart, my mind, my relationships, my money, my stuff, it's all yours. Our vocation now and forever is worshipers. Now, I know that's where some of us check out and go, this is why I don't want to be a Christian, because I don't want to sing for eternity. I'm not very good at it. Isn't it just like clouds and harps and stuff? Oh, it gets way better. They will see his face, verse 4, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Don't need you anymore, sun. Don't need you light. God will do just fine. And they will, here it is, will reign forever and ever. Do you hear that word reign? There's two eternal vocations, worship and reigning. That's why Romans says you are heirs with Christ, the same authority that's been given to Christ, the the opportunity to reign. Guess what? We're going to reign. It even says we're going to judge angels. I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds pretty cool. It sounds like an American Idol kind of thing, and there's going to be some angels, and we're going to judge them and say, no, you didn't really hit the notes, but, you know, whatever. I don't know. But it says we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. That's not just a a, a worship service for 24-7 for the rest of your life. It's actually he's going to give us things to do, tasks to do. He's going to continually develop our character for all of eternity. It's never going to stop. And that's why Paul in 1 Timothy says, training of godliness has value for this life and the life to come. That text makes no sense if Revelation 22 is just some kind of Well, we just go to heaven and we die and then, you know, we just sing for a long, 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 long time. No, there's going to be things for us to do. Why? Because God made a a good creation and God made his people in his image and he's restoring all of that so that we can rule and reign in that new creation, that new heavens and new earth, the way it was supposed to be and experience things that you and I will never experience and not have sin and not have sorrow and not have death. So your character now matters. God is preparing us to worship, and to rule and reign. It's all that priest language that we see in Peter, that we're a kingdom of priests, that we're a royal priesthood. What what is all that? 
It's because God has work for us to do, even in heaven. Even in the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that amazing? Such a better vision, and I think a more biblical vision than just saying a prayer and going to heaven when you die. God's begun that eternal work now, and he's going to continue it for all of eternity. So that we're kingdom people that rule and reign and worship him for all of eternity. Jesus said, if you want that kind of character, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're reminded that Jesus is our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king. He fulfilled all those roles perfectly so that we could come to him. That we could have our sins forgiven. The, the, the bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. The, the blood, this, his blood shed for us. And by believing in him, we can come to his table. We can come running. We, we are fit for him because of what he's done for us. And that's why he can call us priests and kings. It's not because we're fit. It's because he is. And he makes us that by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. So if you're a believer in Christ, come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. The way we do it is we have two uh, lines in the front. Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. If you need any uh, nut-free, gluten-free bread in the middle there, please take that as you come forward. If you're not a believer in Christ, we just ask you to stay seated. Um, it's kind of a family deal, but we'd love to, to talk to you more about um, what it means to be a follower of Christ. We have some prayers in the city life if you want to look those over. Um, if you have any questions about the sermon, I'd love to talk with you about that as well. So with that, let us pray. Father, I know we chewed on a lot this morning. But the one thing I, I constantly think about is that, God, you would be gracious enough not only to redeem us, to forgive us, but that you'd give us new hearts and new desires and new ways of thinking and new ways of living so that one day we could worship with you and I should say worship you and reign with you for all of eternity. That you're beginning that work now. And in a very imperfect way, God, you are shining through us, your people, your church, what it looks like when Jesus is ruler and Jesus is king and what it looks like to live in your kingdom. And so, God, we know there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do. And thank you that you're not done with us. The work you began in us, you will complete. Help us believe that. Help us walk in that, God, where there's the old man rearing its head. May it die. May we put it to death. May we seek the new self where life is found. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate with us.